0: Heavenly Father, we want to be able to sing Hosanna and proclaim that we will follow you not just on the good days, God, but on the hard days, on the quiet days, on the separated days, and on the great days as well, Lord. We just want to be able to sing always Hosanna to your name. Lord, just prepare our hearts, open our minds to new thinking, May we be willing to follow you wherever you call us, and may we indeed proclaim Hosanna every day. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul wrote this little letter to the Philippians, it's really small, and uh, there's a little epic sentence inside here, a little epic few verses that I want to share with you, where when he was talking about Jesus Christ, he said this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God, Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And Paul says, listen, Jesus, even though he had the form of God, even though he is God, he didn't feel that this was something that he should grasp, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him in the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Every tongue confess that he indeed is God. This is what Paul wanted us to kind of grasp, and he knew that people didn't understand how significant it was because people still struggled with the idea of this man, Jesus Christ, being their Messiah. Even though, even though he had done so much... And we are in the middle of the series right now, Easter changes everything, and we've talked a little bit about the things that he had done, and still it confused them. You remember that? The very first week when Pastor Danny Hernandez was speaking to you, sharing the beginning there in John chapter 12, and they said, We're kind of confused, even though that Jesus had resurrected Lazarus from the dead, overcome death. I mean, they're still confused. The leaders were confused. They didn't even understand, as the passage says at the end of John chapter 12, they right at that section where he just says, and the whole world marveled after him. And then last week, remember last week, I talked to you about the idea that it was still confused, but it was hidden, but there was a message deeply hidden inside there. Because inside the message, even though they were confused, Jesus said to them, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Everything is about to change I'm ready for this final chapter, and all of it will change. And yet, they were like, how is it going to change? And he, hidden? No, it wasn't. It was actually revealed to them inside there, just saying, listen, you can find me. In fact, the Greeks who represented the rest of the world, so you had the Jews on one side who represented this people, and the Greeks who represented the rest of the world, they came along and said, yes, we too seek Jesus. It wasn't hidden. And then next week, as we come to the final close of our series, I'm gonna ask you this one question, this final question, whether you really do believe. A question that actually often comes up that Jesus brings up himself, where people struggled in different ways when he just laid down options to them, do you really believe? But today, in our passage today, we're looking at John chapter 13. So why don't you turn with me to John chapter 13 and help me there. And when somebody's got it in one of the pew Bibles, if you could shout out the page number, that would be really great. John chapter 13, what page number is that? 997, 997. So if you don't know where John 13 is, turn to page 997 inside your pew Bibles, and we will look at John chapter 13. And this is what we're looking at, just the very first 17 verses that Clark had read to us earlier today. Jesus felt that what he needed to do as Paul had declared in Philippians, was to bring himself to this world and to lower himself down to humanity in the broken body and then to actually take everything that he has, all the power that he has, and just put it aside and say, I will rely on my Father for everything. I will rely on my Father to bring everything through. So when he rose Lazarus from the dead, it was by the power of God, by the power of God the Father. When he walked on the water, it was because of the power of the Father. He said, I'm going to rely on the Father to do everything. This is what was significant about it. He had all the power, and yet he suppressed all the power. He pushed all the power aside. He let it all be so that he could be one with us. One with us, just to say that I actually want you to understand a new paradigm of who God is. When you read in Hebrews chapter 1, at the very beginning there, remember what it says there? It says that you've heard in the past what the prophets have said, but now, Paul says, this is who Jesus is. And Jesus himself said many times, you've read in the First Testament, but let me tell you, you've heard Scripture say this, but let me reframe it for you. Let me bring it back to what God's intent was, because for some reason, you guys seem to forget we forget all the time, don't we? Do you guys forget things? I have multiple calendars to remind me and I still forget. I do, I mean, it's important. We have to remember, I mean, we remember birthdays, at least I'd like to remember birthdays. I don't remember birthdays all the time. Becky will, will often say to me, hey, did you know that it's your mum's birthday? And I'm like, of course I did. I know it happens every year. I just, <laughs> I just didn't know it was today. Sorry, Mom. Uh, You know, it happens. It happens. And Becky will say, hey, did you know it's your dad's birthday? I'm like, I'm very good with birthdays, really. I'm very, very good. Even my parents' birthdays, because Becky reminds me. Right? (laughs) We need something to kind of trigger us in this kind of thing. But then, you know, we have anniversaries. Everybody has anniversaries, special days that they remember. I remember June 10th for me, first date that I went with Becky. I mean, we remember certain things. They're really good. They're important to us. We remember also the Sabbath. We, we come and we celebrate here. It's actually good when it happens every week. Because then you remember, I know something's supposed to happen today. Well, I know I was supposed to be at church. That's, I knew there was something because it's just a regular routine. It becomes part of remembering over and over again. The word remember is really powerful in the Bible as well. It's, it's brought up many times where God is constantly saying to them, I want you to remember. Don't forget remember this, is important. He says, I remember you, I know your name, you must remember as well. So remembering is important. But then John understanding all of this, and remember that John uh, has written the gospel of John right here, and he, he writes it, he writes it at the end. So you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've written their gospels, and John is now at the end, towards the end of his life, and he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, do they, will they be able to second generation move forward and remember everything that God had called him to. That's why John shares things that nobody else does inside the Gospels. He gives us insights that nobody else does. He grabs all the theology all the way through, and everything is important to John. Every word is important to him. In fact, actually, as he's doing this and telling this story, he tells about this story that of the practice that Jesus has set up where they would wash each other's feet, and he's the only one who records this. He says, I think... I think it would be significant that we should do this. In fact, if I only had so many words to be able to tell the story and I had this little passage, maybe I should dedicate a portion of this passage to that. And you know how significant it is. If you have a really, really important thing that you wanna be able to ask, your grandparents, or you want to ask your spouse. You're very particular about the words. You don't want to waste any words. You want to make sure that it actually goes through just exactly as you did. So John says, I want to make sure that people don't forget this. This is significant, as this is the final sermon." The final sermon that Jesus does with them from chapter 12 all the way through to chapter 19, he starts off with these words. It's going to be, and then he ends it with it. It's finished. He says, I need to keep everything inside in, so I must tell the people about this. But then do we remember everything? Do we remember what's actually taking place inside there? Do we know what's going on? And so John says, you know what? I I think maybe they forgot. They forgot that they're fighting and they're squabbling. So he tells what Jesus actually did. And in the very first three verses here, you have an entire summary, not only the sermon, but you have a summary of actually everything that God was talking about. Huh, that's really funny that uh, my mic just kind of went off there for a second, because here's an interesting thing that took place. And this is very apropos for our message today. They told me the reason why my mic kind of goes out is because uh, the antenna was in the wrong position. Then they told me it's because the antenna pack, which is right here, can't be at my back, because there's a body mass <laughs> that it can only travel through. And I was like, hmm, really? Really? Sure? Are you sure about that? And I said, I'm pretty sure the radio waves can permeate all this muscle. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I must do. So that was pretty humiliating when they told me that. They were on the floor, rolling around, laughing. I had to, like, pick them up, and then they they kind of settled down. Then they fell on the floor and started laughing again. No, no, they weren't. (laughs) They weren't. They were grinning inside hysterically. It is. It can be humiliating, right? And humiliation is not a good thing. So it's kind of weird that we even call this entire service the ordinance of humility. Because nobody wants to go through humility, right? Nobody wants to be humbled at that level. Yet Jesus says, through John here, he says, I think there's something that you really need to remember. Everybody needs to remember that we're all on the same level. So you're thinking, ah, well, if I wore a belt packed, I'd be fine because I'm just pure muscle, (laughs) right? But there are other things that we have that we struggle with. All of us have things that we go through. And so John says this, right? First three verses, he says, look, Jesus loves them. He uses the action words. He says he knows and he understands, he loved them, he will love them, he does all of this. It's all about action. And then he says, Satan, Work through an action through Judas. And so there's a battle of contention inside here. But then it says, don't worry, because God will be glorified through this. In those first three verses, he basically says to us, everything is encapsulated inside here. And I want you to know that as you leave this, it is significant. This is the why Jesus came here. And he understands his mission with clarity. Absolutely. No hesitation for him at this point as he's telling them why. As they gather together for dinner. It then says in verse 4 that he arose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. John, do you have to tell us how he did it? Did you have to tell us that he stood to the right or to the left? I mean, why tell us all this stuff? Could it be that John is actually saying that he laid aside his divinity? Could it be that John is saying that he laid aside everything that we thought was God, but actually took on who God is and became a servant to us? Could it be that he wants to say, look, this robing and this robing is really significant? Could it be that when he says later on here that he filled the bucket with water and washed their feet, that he used the water because he wants to resonate something deeper inside the story, something kind of like underneath to say, there is salvation about to take place. I'm about to remind you of something. Because this is, all it is, is just an example. That's what he says at the end. Jesus says, There's not, it's not like a, a magic takes place when I wash your feet. It's not like something happens when I wash your feet. What happens is that you are reminded and you remember that you're called to an action. And he wants us to remember that we're called to something significant inside here. And this is what he does all the time. Even though there's a battle of sin going on with Judas, he's saying, I need you to remember all the way through. Well, when we get to our friend Peter, of course, and I'm not talking about our head elder or our sound engineer. Although, you know, we'll have to ask them if they would feel this way as well. And as Jesus is going around, as Pastor Jessica had mentioned, as Jesus had gone around and washed all the disciples' feet, they come to Peter. Peter clearly was not sitting right next to Jesus at this point because the conversation implies this in the other stories as well, where they were seated for the meal and so forth. But but what takes place is that Peter says, listen, why are you doing this? This is humiliating. Now, here's the interesting thing. When they sat down to eat, they would literally sit down on the floor. Their feet would be to the side. They would actually put their elbow on the ground, and they would actually lay their head on the chest of the person next to them. It's an intimate meal. It's a normal meal. That's how they did it. This was not how they were supposed to do the Passover meal. The Passover meal, they were supposed to stand up and eat the food on the ready to run because it was supposed to celebrate that God would rescue us. Now they had come to the point a few years on from Exodus and they sat back and they're laying down on each other and they're just eating the food. Nobody thinks, this is weird, that their feet hadn't been washed when they came in. Nobody thinks themselves as I'm lying down here, you know what, here is our rabbi, there is the bucket of water, there is the towels, maybe I should get up and do it. Anybody ever had that? You come home, and you see your dishwasher, and you're thinking, why is the sink full of dishes? Couldn't they just have loaded it up, right? But but the, the point is that you arrive at the dish, and like, to move it from the sink to the dishwasher, somebody else could do that, and you just place it in the sink. They're sitting down, and they're looking at all the towels and thinking, Somebody else could do that. So the last thing they could ever imagine would be that Jesus would actually get up, walk over here, suddenly unrobe, put a towel around himself, come back and actually wash their feet. That was not what they expected at all. It was just unheard of. So Peter says, what are you doing? And Jesus says to him, this is important. I need you to be part of me. I want you to be part of me. But we resist God all the time. Do you guys resist God sometimes or all the time? Hopefully, when we sing Hosanna, we're remembering how powerful God is, and in that moment, we are receptive to receiving God. But there is so much stuff going on in the world that we resist God way too often, way too much. There's a story told of a kid called Bob. It's not Bob Ambler. This kid called Bob. And he went to his mom and uh, his dad because they called him into the living room and said, listen, where you work... Where you play, out in the yard, that garden, that is for you. The next door neighbor's garden, that is not yours. Stay out of it. But Bob was like, oh, but, but the garden next door, it's, it's just so pretty. It's got flowers. I can run through them and squash them. I mean, it's just so lovely. And they're like, that's the problem. You can't go over there. You're destroying all the plants. So the parents said to him, listen, when you are facing a temptation, as you face that hole in the fence and you're looking at the way to crawl through, what you should do is just declare, say the scriptures. That's what Jesus did. You do the same as well. Satan, get behind me. Right? Bob, next day, parents called him in and said, what are you doing next door? I told you, when you get to the fence and you feel tempted, you just have to say, Satan gets behind me. And Bob said, I did, I did. And he just pushed me in. And I just... (laughs) I didn't help it. I was just. He, he, I told him, get behind me, and he just pushed me all the way in. <laughs> this is the problem with temptation for us. We feel like we're talking to God, and we feel like we're confessing to God, and we say, God, I confess my sins. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to go through there. And, and then we forget, and we just go through. And then we turn around, and we blame all sorts of other things. And God says, I know this about you. But I want you to understand that you can't just wash your feet here. This is actually, you've got to give your entire life to me, your entire body to me. And Peter's like, yeah, sure, take everything, take everything. And he says, but just remember, this is not literally about physical cleanliness. He says to them, this is actually about spiritual cleanliness. I need you to be able to do this so that you will learn how to serve each other. Do we serve each other well? When we go through the process of washing each other's feet? Do we remember what we're doing is that we're serving each other? There's a lot of problems in this world, and they all need help. There's actually a huge level of despair. I mean, if you just look at the statistics in this country in particular, they actually say that for those who who suffer with alcohol issues, that alcoholism is 15 million people in the United States are struggling with this. 15 million people. The $200 billion is spent to try and help them with this. We're talking about drug addictions where last two years ago, 35,000 people died um, just from drug overdose. And then 2017, a year, two years ago, 70,000 people died from drug overdose. The despair is high and it's rising rapidly, even though they spent a billion dollars trying to fix the drug overdose problem side there. And suicide has just been increasing all the time. There were, you know, there were 1.4 million attempts last year where people try to take their lives, 1.4 million. And 50,000 of them actually succeeded and went through the entire... I mean, just horror, despair that people are living in. And why do they live this life of despair? What are we doing to serve these people? And then you look at poverty, and you think because we're here... You know, you go back home to England, and I think because I'm there, there can't surely be as much poverty as there is. But it's a huge level of poverty... Primarily because people just live in a history of generational poverty that's just passed on and passed on. So it's difficult sometimes, right? Because you want to give some money to help somebody who's poor. You want to give something to them and you go see them and then you arrive at their house and suddenly you see they've got like a, a bigger TV than you have. And you're thinking, what? And you, you look and you, you realize they've got the entire cable network. And you're like, but I only have Netflix. And they've got a big TV and they've got this and you, you look in their garage and they've got like four cars and you're like, i got one car. And then you, you go out with them and suddenly they spend a lot of money at the restaurant and you, you eat, just drink water. and You eat one slice of bread. And you're like, these people aren't that poor. Or oh, if only they spent their money better. And what happens is you become the judge. You start to place yourself in a position way, way above, and you start to look at them differently because you don't understand. You don't understand their language. You don't understand their culture. You don't understand their history. You don't understand that the only pleasure that they have to make them feel like, hey, at least I'm, uh, I may have so much debt, but at least, at least the only thing I could get financed for was that TV. At least, you know, the only thing I could get was was this one car, but I could get this other car because I'm going to use that car to fix this other car, but people don't understand that. Maybe if I had this, then people would respect me and treat me as their equal. But what we do is we judge them harshly. I know there's reasons why people don't come forward and ask for help. We have a great team here at this church with the Good Samaritan Fund where we actually say, hey, you need some help? You can go and speak to them for help, but I know they're people because it is humiliating. It is difficult to go and ask for help. And, and will they judge me? Will they come and say, this is what I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to behave? Not understanding where the journey is, but our team is brilliant. They understand, they speak a different language, they know, and they know what you're going through, and they want to help you. And This is how we serve each other. We have to move our head. We, we, we judge so easily, don't we? If I'm going to give you this, when I see the homeless person, if I'm going to give you some money, well, then you better use it the right way. Well, you don't understand their story. You don't know what they went through. You don't understand what they're going to do with that money, whether that's going to give them just a moment of joy or not. It is not your business. Your business is to actually do what God called you to do, is to serve, to serve each other. That's why we have problems in our marriages, because what we do is we put one foot in and one foot out, and we kind of just say, I'm committed to this, (laughs) and I hope I'm gonna make this work, but you know what, I'm gonna love you as long as you love me back in the way that I need to be loved. Instead of just saying, actually, I'm just gonna serve you. It's the same problem with church. When we come to volunteer in church, If your heart is not right, you expect something in return for it. Instead of just saying, I will let you just give of my time. When you give your tithes and your offerings, when you make the sacrifice of your tithes and offerings, because you give because it's not yours. It's yours to return to God. And you're saying, but I want to be able to control all of this. And God is saying, I need you to move your place into a place of service. I need you to think about it differently. This is what Jesus is pulling us through all the time in the story inside here. And then he ends with this incredible verse in verse 17 where he says this, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's what he says. If you serve, you'll be blessed. Pastor Saison and Pastor Vanessa are going to come and help us to repair. Because I tell you this, that only preparing our hearts and our minds is actually the way that we receive. And we do. We are blessed by this. And I want to be able to live in a space where I am blessed, don't you? You want to be blessed by other people? And I want to be blessed by other people? Well, God says you have to serve each other with no expectation. Do you think that Jesus, when he washed their feet, he was like, well, I hope they wash my feet just as well. No, he said, I'm doing this so that you understand far deeper than anybody else could where love actually really comes from. Hence, he says in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. I actually think that you could just replace the word love and add the word serve and say, we serve because he first served us. That's what Jesus calls us to, to service. And he says, if you could just live your life with that kind of action, to just give, you will be a blessing. You will be blessed and you'll be a blessing to others. Your marriages will be better, your parenting will be better, your resentment and hatred will move away because you will move to a different place. That's all that God is calling us to. And he said, I want you to be the disciples. To be these disciples, they should know and they should learn right from the very, very beginning that they need to serve. And if they have that attitude, if they have that settled with God, oh, then it'll be great. Because that's what he says, right? He actually, but basically, he says straight after this, he says, I'm going to love them and I'm going to teach them to the love. And that's all he calls us to. So today, as Doris and I will lead in communion. Mm-hmm which I'll talk to you more about next week. And remember Friday night, we're going to meet here for Good Friday as well. Um, I just want to remind you that it is open communion for us. It's just between you and God. Everybody is welcome to participate. You can come forward and when you come forward, you'll pick up the bread and you pick up the juice. And if you need gluten-free, let us know and we will come and get you some gluten-free bread. And we'll make sure everybody serves. If you, in the balcony, you can come down. That's great. If you can't, then we'll make sure we come to you afterwards. But honestly, God says, listen, I want to be able to serve you so that you will actually place your heart in the right place. So we will have time for you just to remember and to pray through that as well. Let's in, I'll invite the deacons to actually help us to uh, help you go row by row, and, uh, and then we'll come forward and serve.